all to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. For those of you that haven't seen my face, I'm Ray, the husband of Lynette. She's at the back. She was the lady leading worship. Um, we've, we were away for f- two Fridays. We finally got to celebrate our 10-year anniversary two and a half years later. <laughs> so that was fun. <laughs> uh, we got, uh, had the privilege of just spending a few days away together. Uh, so thank you for releasing us. Thank you for those that prayed for us. It was a great time. We came back a few kgs heavier, both in luggage and in body. <laughs> but it was good, a good time away. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll get started. Uh, just a heads up for the introverts that are here this morning. <laughs> um, we are going to have some small groups today after the message. So just prepare yourselves, get ready, take notes. There'll be some questions to answer, and I'm just teasing. <laughs> it's not that intense. Yeah, we've locked the doors. <laughs> Fire exits are sealed. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Uh, so we will be having some small group discussion time after. So I'm just going to share for about 15 to 20 minutes, and then we'll get started. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then we'll take it from there. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I receive no benefit. Love is patient, love is kind. It is not envious, it does not brag. It is not puffed up. It is not rude. It is not self-serving. It is not easily angered or resentful. It is not glad about injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. But if there are prophecies, they will be set aside. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, they will be set aside. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when what is perfect comes, the partial will be set aside. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I set aside my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror indirectly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but but then I will know fully, just as I've been fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So, Father, we just thank you that we can come and we can look at your word. And over the last few weeks, as we've, as we've worked our way through the scripture, Father, we thank you for what you have revealed. We thank you for the way that we have been challenged to grow and to mature in you as we've looked at the scripture. I pray that you'd be blessed this morning, that our hearts would be open and receptive to what it is that you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 13. And I have the privilege of wrapping that up for us this morning. And so, if you don't know about this chapter, previously we also looked at the gifts, where Paul talks about the gifts in Ephesians and Romans and also, yeah, in Corinthians 12. And then he seemingly inserts this random topic of conversation in the middle of this talk about the gifts. Because in 1 Corinthians 14, he goes on to talk about the gifts again. And you've got to remember, Paul 
Paul didn't talk in chapters. Um, it was a conversation that he was having with the church. The chapters are there to make it easier for, easier for us to find what's in the Bible. And so he's talking about the gifts, and then suddenly he says, but there's a greater way. He looks at this chapter that we call the chapter of love, and then he goes back on to talk about the gifts again. And it almost seems a bit random, a bit in the middle of nowhere, a bit left field conversation, but he says that we've got to understand in the context of the Corinthian church is that they were pursuing the gifts more than what they were pursuing loving one another. It was about a spiritual elitism almost. It's like, I've got more of the gifts, the manifestation of the gifts than you do. And they're trying to compete with each other in that way without showing love. And that's where Paul comes in and he says, if I do this without love, it is meaningless. And so we've paused here and we've had a look at these gifts. Um, the, sorry, we've had a look at love. And Paul then goes, he says, this is a better way. The better way is to show love. Because without love, these gifts and the way we live is meaningless. In the first uh, week where I looked at this, I spoke about the fact that this portion of Scripture can be broken down into three parts. The first part we looked at is the first section that tells us about love being the necessary gift. Where it says, if I speak in tongues of angels, but I do not have love, I'm just a, a noisy gong or symbol, clanging symbol. If I have prophecy and mysteries and I have all the faith, but I do not have love, I have nothing. It says, if I give away everything, including my body, in order to boast, but I don't have love, it's of, of no benefit. And so we looked at how love is necessary. Beautifully with that, Easter worked its way into, well, we worked our way Easter into what we were preaching. And we looked at how God gave his life sacrificially for us in a love that was necessary so that we might know him. And so love that we've received is being given self-sacrificing. Jesus gave his life for us. And now Paul's saying, hey, we've got to do the same. We've got to give our lives as love for those around us, sacrificing ourselves so that we might love others. It is so necessary. Then we looked at the second section, which talks about love being the beautiful gift. And Paul goes on to give us 15 examples of what love looks like. I don't know about you, but I'm still challenged by love is patient, the first one. <laughs> I haven't really progressed much further than that. And, but he goes on to say, love is patient, it is kind. And he t- goes on to tell us, this is what it looks like. We have a love that celebrates others, that is patient, that walks in humility, that shows concern and consideration for others, that looks out for others. And so it's this beautiful gift that we've been given that is also such a challenge for us to live up to. But then lastly, Dan and Nicole and Yohandra, they looked at how love is the eternal gift. It says in verse 8, love never ends. And it goes on to talk about how in the fullness of Christ, everything will be revealed in its fullness, including love. And then Paul has explained why godly, self-sacrificing love is required to fully express the spiritual gifts. And so today I'm going to wrap up by focusing on that last line, which says, And now three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You see, Paul concludes by mentioning love again, but he also mentions two other very important virtues, faith and hope. You see, these three virtues remain. They do not go away. 
Um, if you have a different translation, it might say that these virtues abide. Um, in the context of love, the eternal gift, these things remain long after the need for spiritual gifts ceases. You see, the spiritual gifts are for the body of Christ today, for now, and for tomorrow. But when we come into place in the fullness of Christ, and we are taken to glory in heaven one day, there's no need for the spiritual gifts anymore. You see, let's look at faith first. See, faith is essential to the Christian life. We would not be here today if we did not have faith. I think we can all agree on that. It is, it is only by faith in Christ that it is possible for us to come into relationship with, with God. In Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. In 1 Peter 1 verse 8 to 9, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9, it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is, from a, gift from, it is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. John 3.16, which we all know really well, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And in Hebrews 11 verse 1, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews 11. Uh, This is also known as the faith chapter, if you've read it before. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to highlight a few things here. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. For, it by, for, for by it, the people of old received God's commendation. By faith, we understand that the worlds were set in order at God's command, so that the visible has its origin in the invisible. And then Paul goes on to say, by faith, Abel offered God a great sacrifice in Cain, and through his faith, he is commended as righteous. In verse 5, he says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death. Uh, it goes on in verse 7, by faith, Noah, when he was warned about things not seen, obeyed God. In verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. By faith, he lived as a foreigner, for he was looking forward to a city with firm foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even though Sarah herself was barren and old, believed. It goes on, it says, by faith, by faith, by faith. It goes on to say, by faith, Moses was was born and his parents hid him for three months. By faith, when he grew up, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And it goes on to talk about that. It says, by faith, he left. By faith, this happened. By faith, we see that the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, escaped destruction escaped destruction. So we see over and over this, these examples of by faith. When Moses was called to free the Israelites, he didn't know what it was going to look like, but he had faith because God had called him. When Noah was told to build the ark, he had no idea what rain even looked like. Yet he built an ark that had never been seen before in faith. By faith, Abraham 
took Isaac and wanted to sacrifice him because of what God had told him. And so by faith, these things happened. And so we live a life by faith. There's a lot of things that we don't see in the world around us today, but we have faith. We cannot see God, but we believe in him because we know him and we've seen what he can do for us. We believe in Jesus because we know and we've heard the story and we've read about it, that he gave his life for us by faith. And it's that faith in him, not our works, that saves us. You see, faith is essential for our walk with God. More important than seeking the gifts. And this is what Paul was trying to say. It's like, the gifts are important. They help to edify and build the church. But it's not more important than our faith in Christ and our faith in God and what he has done for us. See, faith gives us perseverance. It gives us endurance to keep going, to dig deeper and to keep our eyes on him. There's one thing about faith, though, that we don't often think about is that once we get to heaven, faith is no longer required. And that's why you don't really think about it. It's like, I've got faith, I've got faith. We read about faith, how we need to have faith. But faith has an end point. Um, I'll get to my example later. See, faith will become sight in the fullness of the reality of God. And so faith isn't eternal, but faith gives us an eternity to hope for. And this is very important for us to remember. And that leads us to hope. See, hope is our Christian conviction that God will keep his promises about the future. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is his faithfulness. See, hope's strength is not in how much hope we have. Hope's strength is in the faithfulness of God. And if you've read your Bibles, and I'm sure all of you have, you'll know that his faithfulness is unending. His faithfulness knows no bounds. His promises are true and amen and never return void. That's the strength of the hope that we have in the faith in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18, it says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. And you know it's serious when someone quotes a scripture from Lamentations 3, verse 21 to 23. It says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love that. It says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And that's where faith and hope coexist and come together. You see, faith and hope are related concepts. We see this in Hebrews 11 verse 1 where it says, Faith is confidence for what we hope for. Faith is a complete trust or confidence in something or someone. I'm going to read this because it uses big words, but faith involves intellectual assessment to assess a, to a set of facts 
and trust in those facts. For example, we have faith in Jesus Christ. This means we completely trust him for our eternal destiny. We give intellectual assessment to his death and his resurrection, and then we trust in it for our salvation because he has promised us life and life in abundance. See, biblical hope is built on faith. Hope is the earnest anticipation that comes with believing something good. Hope is a confident expectation that naturally stems from faith. So the faith leads to hope. Hope is a peaceful assurance that something that, isn't, that hasn't happened yet will indeed happen. Hope must involve something unseen. In Romans 8.24 it says, Hope that is seen is hope no more. Who hopes what they already have? In Titus 2 verse 13, it talks about Jesus being our blessed hope. We can't see him yet, but we know he's coming. And that we anticipate that event with joy, with much hope. (coughs) See, the relationship between faith and hope is kind of like me telling my kids we're going to go to lost paradise tomorrow. If I told you that we're going to go to lost paradise tomorrow, that's my, that's my promise to you. And you'd be pretty happy with that. You'd take that, 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 that word that I've made to you and you'd be like, great, that's cool. But I can tell you now, my kids would be jumping with excitement. And that's hope. They've received a word. Now there's this eager anticipation that builds inside of them. And that is what hope looks like. If I didn't take them, all hell would break loose. <laughs> so they're not here. They can't here, fortunately. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's basically it. So faith is the declaration of something. Jesus says, I will return. That then builds hope inside of us. And we wait in eager anticipation, in peaceful assurance, in confident expectation that he will come again. And that we will be saved and taken with him into glory in heaven. See, faith and hope are complementary. Faith is grounded in the reality of the past, in what has been said. Hope is looking to the reality of the future. So we say that again. Faith is grounded in the reality of what is said in the past. Hope is looking to the reality of the future. And as a side note, that then becomes testimony. And we all know that testimony is a spirit of prophecy. And when we hear the stories of what God has done, that builds hope and encouragement inside us for what God can do. All right. And that's why testimony is so important. Never underestimate the power of your, of your testimony. It might be as small as God helped you find your keys this week to as huge as God saving your life from the clutches of death. But every testimony carries the prophecy of Jesus. That carries hope. It carries declaration that if God can do it for someone else, he can do it for me too. And so I want to encourage you with that. Is don't, be, don't be shy to share your testimonies. I still love, he's not here today, but Joshua sharing his testimony about his passport just being ready within three weeks where it normally takes up to six months. Something as simple as that is powerful because I've heard two stories from people that used that testimony as hope for the same thing that they had to go through and how God came through for them in the same way. And so something so seemingly insignificant in human eyes is something so powerful in the hands of God. And so I think we need to be more bold in sharing our testimonies. That's completely for free. You're right. (coughs) 
See, hope, like faith, is also temporary. We have short-term hope. So we say, I, like my kids, if I told them we're going to lost paradise, I'd be hoping that we'll go, they'll have hope for that thing that's going to happen the next day. But they also know that one day I'll pay for them to go to university. And so they have a hope that's a bit longer term. And I have a hope one day that they'll have grandkids, and I look forward to that with eager anticipation. And I'm jumping way ahead of myself. I'm still only 25. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that, there's, there's, we have short-term hope in things that God's going to... Some of us are trusting that God's going to bring breakthrough in certain areas in our lives. And that might be a short-term thing. We might realize that in a week, a month, or two years. But then we also have long-term hope. We have an eternal hope in Jesus. He says, I'm going to come back again. And we have hope in that eternity. You see, once hope has been realized, it no longer exists. Never really thought about that too much. Always read about faith and we realize, well, once we're, with heaven, once we're in heaven with Jesus, we don't need faith anymore. Once we've hoped for something and it's been realized that hope doesn't exist anymore, that's when it becomes testimony. But love never ends. Love, on the other hand, exists for all eternity. Love is a virtue that will endure in heaven through God's love for us, our love for him, and our love for one another. And the beauty of this love that is eternal is that when we show love on earth today, we bring eternity into our lives today. So often as Christians, we tend to fall into the trap of living for today, for li- which is great. That's important. We live for next week. We live for what might happen in a year's time. But we're also called to live with an eternity kingdom mindset. That what we do today has an impact in the next 20 years, but also has an impact into eternity as well. In, inherit- in inheritance, in legacy, in what we do for God, and the re- rewards we receive in heaven. And so love is the thing that exists forever. Love never ends. Love continues to grow. Love continues to change and develop and to become something greater within us. As we spend time with the Father, as we reflect on his glory and his presence, as we receive more of his love, we understand different characteristics of who he is and what he is and how he is. And our love develops and grows and we can then give that to those around us. And this is why love is so important. Love has to be the primary motivation for everything we do. Because when we do that, we bring a bit of eternity into our present tense. And we help, it helps to show that there's a motivation of love behind everything we do. <clears throat> so in closing, it's been 21 minutes. I told you I'd keep it short. Um, for those that are anxious, small, small groups will start in about two minutes. Uh, <laughs> I just say that because that, that would be me. Um, in the context of spiritual gifts, and as mentioned this earlier, the Corinthian church had put so much emphasis on the gifts for their own personal glory, for their own personal achievements, and for their own spiritual elitism. They're like, well, I can speak in tongues and you can't, or I had a prophetic word and you didn't. But it was almost like, using the manifestation of the spiritual gifts to their own advantage and to put one up above someone else. And something I said right at the beginning is that the spiritual gifts are not an indication of spiritual maturity. And this is very important for us to remember. Someone that has been a Christian for a week 
can prophesy, even though they, their lives don't model what we would expect from someone that can prophesy powerfully. Just as someone who's been a Christian for 20 years can do the same. And so the spiritual gifts are not an indicator of spiritual maturity. The fruit of the Spirit, though, is. And that's a bit more tricky. We'll get to that sometime. And so Paul is reminding us that all these gifts that he has spoken about, without love, are meaningless and can even be destructive. One of the things, sorry, I'm just going to quickly side note, we got to spend some time with Dave and Kathy, the, the people that we have apostolic oversight over us. And one of the things we're just chatting is how the enemy, for every gift that Paul has mentioned in the Bible, the enemy has a counterfeit. We have prophecy, they have clairvoyance. We have knowledge, they have philosophy. This is something that the enemy has come in with a counterfeit for every single one of them. The problem with those things is no love behind it. And so it causes confusion and destruction and pain and hurt, and it leads people away from the presence of God. But when we operate in love in the gifts that, the God, that God has given us through his spirit, it brings us closer to God. It edifies the body. It brings clarity and wisdom and understanding, and it brings just a unity within the body. And this is why we have to operate in love. On that note, I'm going to ask you to get into groups of about five to eight people. Let's not go too big because we want everyone to have a chance to talk. You can move chairs around. Uh, let's just move all the chairs. And then, Nikki, if you can put the questions on the board. So there's three questions we're going to talk about. The first one is, what has stood out to you and encouraged you? So this is from the whole of the, of the series we've done. So anything that, if you need to read it again quickly, go ahead, do that. The second question is, what has challenged you? And then the third one is, how can you apply what you've learned to your life? Personal, relationships, family, and the workplace, etc. All right, we're going to give you 15 to 20 minutes. Sorry? 